Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily podcast. It's Thursday and in normal circumstances that would mean waiting at least another 24 hours to get your hands on some football action. But never fear because at the moment football is kind of on this never-ending cycle with games going on pretty much every single night of the week. And that's exactly where we're going to be picking up on today's show. In part one, it's Liverpool and Manchester City as they showed Manchester United exactly how it's done by cruising into the Champions League last 16 last night. In part two, it's the Thursday night lights with the Europa League as Arsenal, Tottenham and Leicester all wrap up their campaigns. Plus our own Jim chats to fantasy football expert Matt Dyson. And then in part three, we'll be talking all things Burnley with Joe Redmond from the Turfcast podcast as part of our daily floodlight focus series. Right then, plenty to get through on today's show. My name's Fergal Brennan. I'm on the record button as Jim's Europa League replacement, shall we call it. And I'm joined by two characters that definitely ooze that Champions League touch of class. We have Marley Anderson. Marley, how are we? Hello, mate. Yeah, glad to uh, to make the grid of Champions League rather than the usual Intertoto Cup quality insight I provide at times. Yeah, well, I I see you as more of a Bobby Robson Newcastle than than you know anyone else. That's 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 the level of player I'm going for. Uh, and another <laughs> man who's used to the uh, bright lights of elite European competition, John Paul Hughes. John Paul, how are we? I'm fantastic, mate. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Right, let's get into it. Champions League, Liverpool, <clears throat> Manchester City, both through to the last 16. Obviously, before kick-off on their two games last night, we knew they had already qualified, but still, there's there's bits and pieces that we can learn from these games. And, and Liverpool, Marley, is where we're going to pick it up. A one-all draw away at FC Michelin. Um, Jurgen Klopp, I know... He's come in for a bit of criticism in the last few weeks. He's upset with well, pretty much everybody. Uh, injuries are annoying him. Television schedules, the Premier League, everyone he seems to be having a little nibble at in, in the last few weeks. And one thing that has come out of their performances in the last month is that 
due to the injuries they've got, he is going to have to rely on these young players in the Premier League, not just in the Champions League. And that was reflected in his in his lineup last night. Kevin Kelleher kept his place in goal. Reese Williams at the back. Leighton Clarkson got a debut in midfield. And, and there's a couple of substitute appearances for younger players as well. So looking at that and looking at the amount of games they've got racking up, Marley, can he rely on, on these young players to at least shoulder the burden for a month or so? Uh, he's going to have to because he's, he's in that position where, you know, you've got to give players the sort of baptism of fire type of thing because, you know, every game from now to the end of the season it will have something riding on it. I think you've the only dead rubber they had was last night against Michelland. Um, and from now on, it's either a league game or a cup game in which you can get knocked out of. Um, with the FA Cup starting in, in January, um, you you would tend to think that the youngsters would come in and, and help out in games in the midweek uh, like they can, like with with midweek Premier League games or with um, with FA Cup games and things like that. But yeah, he's he's, he's going to have to uh, rely on them because the the injury hit the injury list has been so so extensive that he's uh, he's got no other options. And but that's that's part of football, isn't it? That's what you've that's what you've got to prepare for as a manager and and things like that. So it's not really. Um, it's something that you know is is super super rare. Um, so yeah, I mean they've got probably one of you know a very very good academy as well, Liverpool. So it's not as if they're they're coming in completely you know without a hope. You, we've seen what Trent Alexander Arnold can do in in recent years. I think he captained the team last night. So that's a a sign of how far he's come. Um, and they've got a few others as well, like Curtis Jones and, and people like that. So there's clearly talent there and it's it's going to have to be seen whether they can uh, rely on them when they need them. And John Paul, when you look at, as Marley said, the runner game's coming. It is Premier League after Premier League. Klopp does have a decision to make in how he balances his squad. And as impressive as Kelleher or Nico Williams or Curtis Jones, who's been getting amongst the goals, has been in recent weeks, there is going to come a time where he needs to ease first team players back in who, who have recovered from injury how does he balance that in terms of making sure that the young players still believe that he's got faith in them given the fact that they filled in and, and filled in relatively well yeah there's a, there's obviously a very I suppose intricate man management job to be done there in, in, in the psychology uh, of these players and keeping them uh, focused on what they're doing but, but we, we know that that has always been the way to develop young players and, and we've saw that from for, for decades and decades that they come into the team they get a taste for it uh, and whether they're playing well or whether they're playing badly quite often a manager will take them out anyway even when he has his full squad to select from just to it keeps them grounded um, and uh, it lets them see what it's all about and it's that little uh, that little teaser that little taster that makes them want more to drive them on and push even harder to get into the first team. So I think as much as as, as much as rotating squad, I think what he'll do, um, something that we what we're definitely seeing this season as as a slight change in the way that teams are playing. There's there's definitely dialing down in intensity, um, of the of, of the pressing game that they're doing as well to to have less impact on the players and and with such a condensed, uh, Champions League group stage. Um, that's something I think we will see continue into the league games as, as we move on here. I read this morning actually that uh, in Champions League last year, uh, the Champions League group stage, or the last two years, was, was over 92 days, but this year it's been condensed into 50. Um, when you add that to the league games and the internationals out there, that's an awful lot of football. So yeah, bringing those young players in, they'll be fine. Um, but taking them out, I think that's all part of the development of any young player breaking them into a first team. 
Marty, given the fact that it's Fulham away this weekend and Scott Parker's side have struggled so much so far this season, do you think Klopp could approach this as certain Premier League games will almost be earmarked as, as FA Cup or even EFL Cup games, given how strong Liverpool are in certain departments, that he can afford, afford and that might not be the right word, to play the likes of Jones or Kelleher or Williams or, or one of the other youngsters in order to give them a bit of opportunity to get a taste of the first team and rest certain players? Uh, I see your point. Yeah, if I mean, if they're good enough, if he has to have some level of confidence in them to be able to do that. Um, I mean, we all we all know Jurgen Klopp likes to sack off a uh, a cup competition, but when they when they're not back in action in the FA Cup till uh, till January, maybe he's got a look at Premier League games to to try and uh, to rest players in a little bit. But I think he's he's pretty much give his first choice eleven minus Salah. Um, Pretty much a full rest on on uh, last night on against um, Michelin. So the game against Fulham, if you can if you can get it done, I think it's dangerous to underestimate Fulham because it's a it's a complete free hit for them. They're not expecting to beat Liverpool at any at any point really, but they um, they'll have a go at them and and it's it'll be a complacency thing for me. I think um, you you can't go into the the Fulham game and think well we're definitely going to beat these even though everyone's expecting you to um, because they're good enough players to, to to exploit the level that a lot of youth players are so if you if you're considering you know playing a you know f- four or five youngsters rather than one or two then you might get caught out but I think Klopp's Klopp's been around the block too many times to to uh, to fall into that trap I think we'll see you know the strongest team again I think Trent Alexander Arnold will play it right back as usual um, after his sort of little fitness worries and you'll still have Fabinho and Matip at the back and you know the value of them too I think Fabinho moved for 40 odd million quid when he came to the Premier League and he's what fourth choice centre back and people are talking as if it's a, a defensive um, you know a defensive nightmare at the back but when you can still feel players like him and, and experienced players like Matip I think you know you've still got a very good base from which to work on and obviously you've still got the front three plus Jota as well um, which can fire you out of any any situation so I think we'll still see the, the strongest team they've got and uh, they'll probably get it done quite easily and they'll continue to roll on towards uh, the busy Christmas period uh, John Paul, the other dead rubber last night was Man City. Pep Guardiola's side already through to the last 16. 3-0 winners at home to Marseille. And obviously in these situations, just like it is with Liverpool, it's difficult to read a massive amount into performance and, and the result because there was nothing on the line for, for either sets of players to be really going for. The big story uh, <clears throat> for Guardiola and for City is the return of Sergio Aguero. He's had a lot of injury issues so far this season. He's yet to score in the Premier League. Uh, long sleeves on last night. It was extra cold in Manchester. I don't think I've ever seen Aguero wear in long sleeves so maybe that's a sign of the cold affecting him extra in 2020 um, Guardiola's obviously going to back him and, and his record at City is, is phenomenal but given the fact that he's going to be slowly brought into the <clears throat> into their Premier League team in the next couple of weeks where do you see this going? I'm possibly edging towards this is one injury too far for him it seems to have taken him longer to get over it there seems to have been a couple of setbacks in, in terms of his recovery and given 
the pressure that's going to be on his shoulders to basically kickstart City's Premier League title challenge. How do you see this this panning out for him? It is an interesting dilemma, isn't it? It's, it's one that I think we're going to be watching over the over the next two or three months, really, uh, with quite a lot of interest. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're saying. You know, it, it's a shame you worry that Aguero is now the old gunslinger who may just be getting thrown into one fight <laughs> too many. Um, but if you would back anybody to just have the predatory instincts to, to, to grab the goal that's going to win a very tight match as they're going to have over these places, then, then Sergio Aguero would be that man. Um, I think Torres coming in, um, it, it looks like a, a, he, he can do a really good job for them. They've obviously got talent in abundance, but still, we do know that, that, that Pep and, and other managers as well have a, a tendency to maybe rely on certain individuals for, um, it could be argued in his time at Barcelona even, for, for maybe a little too long, um, and, and that start, starts to wane. But listen, Aguero's uh, record, uh, reputation <clears throat> and uh, and career has earned him the the opportunity, I think, to uh, that, that we give up, put a bit of faith in him, you know? Um, they will know how to manage it, they'll know how to look after his body, but I, I, I do take on your point that the, the, the recovery time this time around seems to have been a little slower, um, and, and as more and more of these injuries happen, you just wonder, is this the beginning of the end for Aguero as the, uh, as the focal point of everything great about City? And Marley, I'm fully prepared for any City fans listening to this to be to be screaming and saying, you know, look at his record and look at everything he's done for the club since since he's come in. But the facts do remain: he's 32, he's out of contract at the end of this season, and there's not any update on whether he'll be signing a new one or not, or, or what the future holds for him. No one's consigning him to the, the rubbish bin of history just yet. But do you think this could potentially be a bit of a, a winding down? And and as John Paul said, Torres seeing a bit more game time, and probably Jesus being asked to be the the goal scoring option this season uh, yeah I think I think most City fans will realise and, and be on board with the uh, the thought that Aguero is coming to the end of his time um, at the club I think my my instinct is that we'll see maybe another year of him um, and he'll be a kind of cameo striker type of um, sort of second choice behind behind Jesus or, or maybe someone new if they go and sign someone in the summer um, we'll have to see what happens there, but I mean, yeah, I mean his injury record has been patchy to say the least um, over the last few years, and this one t- did take a long time for him to come back. But he proved last night he's still got it. He's still got those instincts. I don't think any other player in that Man City squad, uh, Jesus included, would have reacted as quickly <coughs> as he did to that um, to that loose ball in the uh, in the box from Ake's header um, and Mandanda's save, but. He's he's still got enough to you know to to do a job, um, and he's by no means written off as you know past it or over the hill or what have you. But obviously you do have to look to the future, and you, I w- it wouldn't surprise me that you've got to bring in um, someone new and some fresh blood to to compete with Jesus and push each other on as 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 Aguero and Jesus have over the last couple of years. So we'll. Um, We'll see, but I think my instinct is one more year, and then he'll probably go back to Argentina or something like that. But obviously, we'll have to have to wait and see what what the future holds for him. But you can't knock anything he's ever done for the club, so I think it'll be uh, it'll be a nice little sort of cameo season that he could have. 
John Paul, obviously fresh blood is is something that Guardiola will be looking to bring into his team and Phil Foden fits right into that category. So much talk ahead of the season was is this David Silva's heir, which I, I never really agree with. You should never put that mm. pressure on a young person's shoulders. But given his start to the season, he has looked impressive. But Guardiola still doesn't really seem comfortable in where he sees his, his long-term position. He's started him in six different positions <laughs> in Premier League and in, and in Champions League so far this season. He played left of a, of a vague front three last night with Bernardo Silver in that false nine if you, if you kind of follow that logic that <clears throat> that, that actually exists as a position um, where do you see his future or do you think Guardiola even knows exactly yet where he is going to play him do you think he just wants to, to feel him out and see where he's best adaptable I think when you've got a, someone who's such a good footballer as Foden you can be tempted to say oh they can play anywhere but he does need a position I agree with you I think um, what, what happens when I mean, I mean I, as a, I love Phil Foden as a player I just I, I get so much joy watching him I think he's fantastic um, I, I love the way he plays the game and I, I, I wish more um, players would, would, would kind of take on the way that he approaches it but he you're, you're 100% correct especially a young player um, being uh, you know kind of, kind of trying to, to get a foothold as a regular linchpin within a, a huge club like City, you you have to settle into a position. And I know we, we talk about you know the fluid formations and people interchanging and all the rest of it and these false nines and in the holes and number tens. And I remember back in the days when people actually used to have a name for a position instead of just <laughs> some number or, or, or some random concept about where someone would actually play. But I think I think you're absolutely correct. I think. Guardiola probably still hasn't quite worked out what Foden's uh, where he's best suited within the Guardiola system within the City system um, and as a result I mean I, I wasn't aware that he'd, he'd kind of played him in as many positions as that uh, I think that only is, is testimony again to, to Foden's abilities that, that he can go in there and, and, and play in all these slight tweaks and nuances and it's one thing knowing a system and understanding where it's at but if Phil Foden wants to give it going to be what I believe he can be which is not only the, the main man for City but the main man for England too um, you kind of need to get him settled into where you know he's best and then start to get the supporting cast working around him Guardiola I don't believe knows where that is at the moment and he knows a lot more than I do so I certainly don't know what that is at the moment either uh, given the fact that now we're all aware of the makeup of the last 16 Marley all the numbers are confirmed we know exactly who's going to still be in the competition next season I'm not going to ask either of you to do predictions at this stage because they never go well and you always, everyone always ends up with egg on their face but we are starting to see a, a picture develop of who we're going to expect to be to be the dominant teams in the knockout rounds nobody's managed to get 18 points and a 100% record Bayern and, and Man City have been the best both getting 16 but just to talk to you both about who's impressed you the most so far in, in the group stages. Marley, would you, would you lean towards City or are we falling into this habit of they cruise through the group stages and then they get into the knockouts and they freeze? Or do you, do you see Bayern defending the title or, or maybe somebody else? Yeah, I was looking at the um, the makeup of the, the last 16 last night and I was thinking who's you know who's my sort of pick to win it and I, I, I can't see past Bayern. Um, the way teams are playing, I think... You know, Man City are probably playing worse than they did last year, and they didn't win it last year. So, when you get to that sort of quarter semi-final stage, will will Pep overthink it a little bit again? Um, and you tend to overthink things more, I think, if you've got a slightly worse team than you did last year in terms of how you're playing. I don't think there is free flowing and and uh, quite in the in the top gear that they were last year, uh, and even the season before as well. But 
Um, so I, I don't think City will go quite all the way. Um, and then, you know, the, the big teams, Barcelona, look look poor this season. Koeman's trying to implement a new system. He's got an unhappy Messi. Uh, they got spanked by Juventus, who've got a new rookie manager themselves in Perlo. They haven't looked um, un, sort of unbeatable this season in, in league form and everything like that. So I would count them out as well. Uh, similar with PSG, that I've not been, you know, PSG, are, PSG are a bunch of individuals. Let's be honest. If they were, if they were a team, PSG, yeah, PSG. If they'd, have, if they'd had a, a team mentality, they would have won the Champions League three years ago. But they, they haven't had it, and they keep, they keep falling because of that. I think. Um, so I think, even though I think they'll go far, I think they, they won't win it. Um, a team like Bayern will always beat a team like PSG, in my opinion. But again, I mean, Bayern have still continued to you know breeze through the group stage they're breezing through the Bundesliga as they do every every year um, Hansi Flick still got them playing perfectly good football they've added Sane who's, who's brilliant um, Lewandowski's still scoring goals so they're the ones to beat for me um, when you look at how they've they've played so far negotiated a group with Atletico Madrid pretty easily um, and yeah everything's in place for them to defend it in, in my opinion John Paul, would you kind of go with the house on that Bayern Munich to defend it, or, or do you see maybe a little bit more of a, a wild card putting it putting it up to them? I would them? love to see a wild card. I really would, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think Marley makes really good points, and and and, and Bayern, you know, <laughs> they're not hitting headlines. Nobody's talking about them. They are just doing the Bayern thing. It's that um, German efficiency, and, and isn't it? Smashing people. <laughs> I'm trying to avoid that man. <laughs> but, uh, and, but you know, we, and we have it's we we talk about it, and even you see it in World Cups and all the rest of it as well, where they they begin unspectacularly, but 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 they get through. They do everything they have to. They are never, and then they just grow and they grow and they get stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, if you were going to take something, and it's not exactly a wild card, but with the the Premier League being as balanced and, and, and as sort of um, open as it is at the moment, um, and, and, and people looking capable of beating each other on any given week, is this the idea that you could potentially see one English side win the Premier League and a different Premier League side win the win the Champions League? That's not beyond the realms of possibility. But if you were to if you were to square them up toe to toe right now, I think that Bayern could batter pretty much anybody in that top sixteen. Yeah, I think when you look at the gap that's kind of emerging, as you say, between Bayern and the rest, and when you take into consideration how good they were in the summer in, in clinching that title, and they don't really seem to have slowed down, even though they've lost Thiago, they still look as much of a and to steal Marley's uh, stereotype, and as much of an efficient unit as they as they were six months ago. My tip, maybe Atletico Madrid. Um, they've looked very good in La Liga this season. They haven't lost a game. The top of the league. Luis Suarez is proven to be a little bit of a masterstroke, and also they're protected from playing against Bayern in the knockout. So if we're thinking that Bayern are going to go all the way, Atletico, if they can stay in the race, will avoid them until uh, until potentially meeting them in the uh, in the well, final. They, say, they do we... say that uh, a story is only as good as its villain. And uh, if Atletico were to go on to win the Champions League, what a story it would be and what a team of villains to actually take it. It would be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm sold. I'm completely sold. <laughs> Atletico Madrid win La Liga and win the Champions League. Uh, hopefully, hope, I'm going to say that hopefully. Disclaimer, hopefully, not definitely. Hopefully, not definitely. Uh, right, we're going to call it there for part one. After the break, it's Europa League action. We are looking at Arsenal, Tottenham and Leicester who are already through to the last 32, but they've got to navigate one more group game. And Jim is going to be catching up with Matt Dyson, our resident fantasy football expert, giving you all the tips you need to pick your team ahead of the weekend. Catch you in a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily podcast. Before the break, it was Champions League and now it is the Thursday night excitement of the Europa League. Arsenal, Tottenham and Leicester City, the Premier League representatives in Europe's second competition this season. All three are safely through to the last 32, but they've got to get through one more group game. We're going to start with Arsenal, uh, regrettably for me as an Arsenal fan. Marley, it's pretty simple for Arteta in the last couple of months. Excellent in Europe, albeit in a, in a relatively straightforward group, but absolutely dreadful in the Premier League absolutely dreadful um, he hit on a little bit of a, a kind of scheme when he first came in uh, last season of hold on a second you guys are playing really well in Europe are you busy for the weekend are you, have you got any plans because we're, we're playing whoever you, you, you can bring your boots down and maybe play <laughs> yeah. is that the way to like I, I am so desperate for an answer with Arsenal at the moment could that possibly be a route the players that are playing in the Europa League have done very well for him. They've performed, they, they seem to be organised, they seem to care. Given how bad the Premier League form has been, could that be an option for him? Uh, yeah, it's, it's worth a go, isn't it? Um, I think when you... You sound as confident yeah, as I do. pretty much. It's, I don't know, it, it, is, <laughs> it is weird with Arsenal. I think obviously they're, they're, they're doing the job you'd expect in, in Europe. Um, and then just sort of... It's like a mental block, isn't it? Because I think even teams playing against them are playing a similar way in terms of, you know, the Europa League. They're, they're not... Not many teams are going to attack Arsenal. They are trying to sort of sit back and, and try and hit them on the counter kind of thing and, and let them have the possession. And that's mostly what Tottenham did at the weekend. And, you know, a few teams have um, recently. I think Aston Villa was was a similar one. Um, and they've been, you know, handsomely beaten by, by both teams. So it's not as if... Um, your sort of philosophy is changing in how to go and dominate games. It's just the the added pressure of um, being a, every you know every team in the Premier League would that you've played in the last well in the first ten weeks would probably say that they've been better than the three uh, Europa League opponents with Dundalk and Rapid Vienna and the likes of I think it's Mold as well, isn't it? So it's um, it's one of them where it's. Maybe maybe a personnel change, yeah, maybe. Um, I think a lot of fans have been calling on Maitland-Niles to, to get into the team and Reese Nelson to be given a go. And I think when you look at Arsenal's Premier League um, lineups, it does tend to be a little bit of square pegs in round holes in that 3-4-3 system um, with you know Aubameyang pushed out to one side, Lacazette um, in the in the striker role and Willian doing precisely square root of Jack on the on the right side as well. So he's, you know, the, there are op- options possibly in the um, in the Arsenal squad for Arteta to call upon. But it's uh, it's one of them where you, 
I think he wants to get it right with with his first team and stick with them um, and try and get them through this period because I think if he if he changes it maybe he's, he he sees it as a uh, a slight on himself to say right well I've I've you know I've clearly not got the squad I want here and I'm going to have to go and ask for a little more money and that proves that I'm not quite as uh, far along the scale as where I where I thought I was but. Yeah, we'll have to see with with Arsenal, but it's it's turned into a problem because as we as we know, the fifteenth in the Premier League, and we're what going into the twelfth game week now. So it's not as if we're only in the opening stages; we're almost a quarter of the quarter of the season way through the season. So they're gonna have to pick up soon and try and turn that U- European form into the Premier League. John Paul, obviously, when you look at Arsenal's team, there's, there's certain players that we're not calling to be dropped. And even though Arsenal fans can be very, very, very unrealistic, nobody would, you know, kick Aubameyang out of the starting lineup. Thomas Partey shouldn't be playing, etc. But when you look at how Joe Willock and, and Bukayo Saka came into the team at the back end of last season, particularly Saka, who's who's kicked on and, and now he's a, an England international, there are players that Marley touched on there: Eddie Nketiah, Reese Nelson, uh, Florian Balogun, who's, who's scored a couple of goals in the Europa League. Nobody's saying they're necessarily ready for the first team on a regular basis, but something needs to happen. Arsenal need it. They need a jump start. And that could be a couple of young players coming in and maybe the more senior players thinking, my you know, my place in the team, the likes of Lacazette, Granite Shaka, one or two others, my na- my my name on the team sheet is not absolutely nailed down. I need to get back to my best form. I completely agree. I think that's exactly what's required. And as, as Marley touched on there, you know, we're well into this season. Um, we're a year into Arteta at Arsenal as well. And he still seems to be struggling to get a tune out of the, the people that he should have been able to rely on to, to, to get the club progressing moving forward. So if ever there's a time, if ever there's an opportunity now uh, to bring that in, to, to, to shake things up, um, to bring in some, some fresh youngsters, and I fully expect to see um, a few of those in the team tonight, uh, this is it. Uh, there's a creative issue with Arsenal in terms of, of, of creating chances and converting. And uh, sometimes, you know, we talk, um, without having supporters in the stadiums as well, obviously, I know some are coming back and all the rest of it, but um, it, it's an opportunity to bring in young players who can, uh, w- without the, the burden and the weight and the expectation um, and, the, and the pressure of a large crowd on their back, especially coming off the back of a derby defeat at the weekend, uh, to go in and do something, to do something exciting. So um, I would expect to see changes and I would expect to see a, a, a refreshed, reinvigorated Arsenal go out and, and do a good job tonight against a team that have had a, a, a pretty tough time of it in the Europa League. Um, Marley, obviously John Paul touched on the derby of the weekend. Tottenham are on the right end of that. They're in action against Royal Antwerp. Placing the last 32 is already secured for, for Jose Mourinho and his team. Um, given the way that things are going in the Premier League, he, he's refusing to talk about them being in the title race, despite the fact that they are top of the league, which is an interesting tactic from a man who's used to interesting tactics, shall we say. This comes at the perfect time for them now. They've got a two, two and a half month block where there's no European football to distract them. They can get back to pretending to not be in the title race yeah um, I mean he'll say that until probably week 36 of the season when when we're <laughs> he'll say that until they yeah, win the league much. He'll, he'll, he'll never admit that it's but it's his games isn't it we, we know what he's like we know he'll, he'll never admit that he's in it he'll still call him his side you know the pony in the in the horse race or whatever he uh, whatever he metaphor he chooses to use but it's it's went as as well as expected in the Europa League. I think they had that little uh, blip where they got beat by Antwerp, 
Um, and he, he basically went mad at all his team and said, well, that's why they're not in the first team. That's why they're playing in the Europa League for me. And that was a bit of a a bit of a shot in the arm or a bit of a rocket to um, to sort of bring the level up. And I think since then they've they've not skipped a beat in the uh, in the Europa League. They've done pretty well. Vinicius is scoring a couple of goals. Um, the the striker on loan from Benfica and there's a there's a fair bit of the squad starting to take the pressure off the likes of Kane and and Son and Dyer and all these the first team players that that they rely on at the weekend. So it's been pretty textbook from from Spurs so far, and you know the the pony can continue to to uh, keep up with everyone in the Premier League with uh, with relatively simple straightforward wins every Thursday night. Um, John Paul, the thing with ponies, sometimes they can be more expensive than you think. <laughs> they, the costs tend to mound up. You've got to pay for stables and hay. And, and who all could sorts you of be things. talking about? <laughs> who in, yeah, I wonder who I could be talking about. Um, Mourinho's got himself a £600,000 a week pony mm. by the name of Gareth Bale. Um, this was always going to be one to watch this season, how he'd react to going back to the Premier League and how he would fit into Tottenham's team. So far, one goal from one Premier League start and, and one goal in Europe. It is absolutely incredible that Gareth Bale is now being used as the person to come in for dead rubbers to play for Tottenham. Given the fact that there was this promise that he would be an important player for them in Premier League, is it not absolute madness how little he's been used, given the fact that we're told that there is no injury issues and that he is fit? It's strange, isn't it? Um, every time you look, you, you fully expect. It. I mean, I think we all thought he would, he would arrive here, hit the ground running, and uh, and propel Tottenham. Because I, I currently think that, uh, that Tottenham are certainly the most exciting team in the uh, in the Premier League for me at the moment. I don't actually effectively mean the, the free flowing football and all that, but I just think that, that there's so much potential uh, there, and, and, and I think they will go on to, to to really achieve something this year. The Bale situation is strange. You know, Josie is. Josie Mourinho's smiling, and when Josie Mourinho's smiling, the world should worry. You know, <laughs> there's uh, there is something good, there's something afoot that we should all be panicked about. It's like when Lex Luthor has got a smile on his face in Superman, you know, and uh, he's obviously been praised for his pragmatism this year and uh, delivering results. And you know what was seen previously maybe as. Um, holding back a talented bunch in terms of the way he was being pragmatic and how he was approaching games is now being seen as a strength. So I think it would be difficult to criticise the lack of game time that, that Bale has based on results and performances and how things are going. And it seems to be a happy camp at the moment. But I do think Bale's moment will come. He's too There is too much talent. There's too much potential and there's too much, you know, Tottenham are going to be going for a lot of trophies this year and I do think they will be contesting those uh, almost all competitions right through to the end of the season. So I think that, uh, maybe not yet, but I think Bale's day this season will come. Yeah, you, there is that argument that he's just too good to not come good, come right for him or come good for him in, in a Tottenham shirt. But Marley, given the way that Harry Kane and, and Song Hyung Min are performing, they're linking up brilliantly. They're they're, pro- they're the most efficient attacking partnership in the Premier League and probably in Europe at the moment. Does he have a, a divine right to be in that team? Should he be in the team? Is he is he worthy of a place in the team? Uh, I think it's it's that old cliche, isn't it? If, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think. Bergvine's gone to a level where he's he's playing he's playing very well, um, and Bale, you know, you know what you're going to get from Bale if if he's fit, you can you can rely on him to to do, um, to to sort of bring that quality from the bench. And but if your first team's working, then 
then you don't always need him. So I think um, he can do something in, in cameo roles that, that we'll see over the course of the season. Um, I think he'll definitely have one sort of standout moment um, bail this season, whether it's a you know a late winner in an important league game or a, a, a hat-trick in a in a cup quarter-final or something like that. I think they'll they'll definitely be something that we remember his, his loan spell by. Um, but whether it's enough to, to bring him back to England permanently, he'll probably obviously rely on the financial aspect of everything and his age and his injury record and all the rest of it. But I think, um, yeah, if yeah, everything's going well for Spurs. So, I mean, why throw him in and then have everybody saying, like, oh, you know, what about Bill's performance this week when... when Jose probably just wants to keep the the pressure um, and the headlines away from uh, one person in particular and, and away from Spurs as much as possible. And if you put Bill in that team and he doesn't score, and even though you win three one, you know one of the post match questions is going to be, well, Bill didn't score. Um, you know, is is he having the impact you want? And that's probably not the the type of attention you want on your squad when you're trying to quietly um, win the, win the league kind of thing. So. It's probably just a, a bit of clever management from Mourinho, and he's he's managed players as good as him before, so it's not like he's he's um, alien to the situation. So I think um, we'll we'll see Bill do his thing when the time's right. I think. I think you're right, Mally. You make a really good point there with, with, with Jose's track record, be at Real Madrid and Chelsea and everywhere else that he's been, um, and Tartu. That uh, he he will not bat an eyelid. Uh, about having uh, and how long he needs to keep a, a, a reputation, an ego, a superstar uh, that big on the bench as long as his team's doing the business. Yeah, I think we've we've seen something similar yeah. with Deli Ali as well. I mean, people have stopped talking about Deli Ali now because Spurs are winning without him, and it's almost like he's justified um, to drop Ali because he doesn't fit into the system that's that's working so well for Spurs. And now you see Ali playing on a Thursday night, um, he'll probably start again tonight and he'll probably do well, but he'll, he'll again be on the bench on Sunday when, when Spurs play. So it's, it's one of them things where, you know, if you, if you make the decision and you, your team carries on winning, people don't talk about things that um, previously might have, you know, dominated press conferences for weeks. Uh, Leicester are the other team in Premier League representation in the Europa League tonight, John Paul. They're already through, just like uh, Arsenal and Spurs. They're taking the foot off the gas a little bit in, in their group. Draw against Braga and then defeat to Zoya Lunchak last week. They're, they're against AEK Athens at home tonight. Uh, essentially, it's a difficult one for Rodgers to manage between now and um, and the end of the season. During his time at Celtic, a European trophy was obviously the, the one thing that eluded him. You as a Celtic fan will know that all too well. Do they have a potential to, to go all the way in this competition or do you look at the squad and think 2021 Thursday night Sunday night Thursday night Sunday night is it too much of a slog or, or are we underselling them a bit I can't believe we get this far in it I thought I was going to manage to escape a Europa League conversation without <laughs> having to bring Celtic into it uh, because uh, Never. let me assure you there are very <laughs> there are very ex- very expensive and very exclusive members only clubs in rather shady cities where you go for the level of masochism that's involved in watching Celtic and talking about uh, Europa League football right now um, but as for Rodgers and his uh, his Leicester City team um I, I do think they have a they have a tough task ahead of them. I think you know I, I, I alluded to earlier that uh, the, the the way the the Champions League has been condensed into fifty days over you know kind of eighty or nineties where it usually is the group stage, and you see that the the same thing is happening with Premier League schedules too. Um, what is ordinarily three hundred and eighty games over about 
um, I, I think it's you know almost kind of 280, 290 days. There's about 40 days cut off the Premier League schedule, so they start to come thick and fast. Um, again, playing well, uh, something that's, that, that's levelled at Rodgers quite often is there's no plan B. That was certainly the case when, when he was at Celtic. When it isn't working out and someone calls you and gets your number, uh, they didn't quite know how to, how to manoeuvre that. Um, we know that he's a, he's a manager with a, a, a big ego. Um, he, he thinks a lot of himself. And he'll fancy himself and his team to go on to really do something here. So I think we could, you know, if, if you fancied an outside bet for the competition early on here, Leicester um, are, are maybe worth a are maybe worth a few quid. I'm not sure what kind of kind of odds you would get on them, but there's still some big clubs. Um, and actually, it's quite it's quite a tasty looking kind of last thirty two that's forming in the Europa League at the moment. But my concern for Leicester, we know that it's we know how important it is to have been over the course before and understand where those pitfalls are going to be and at what times to make the right changes when and when. The fact that Leicester haven't really done that um, on both fronts um, and, and, and the squad that they have at the moment, I, I do see them coming unstuck at some point. It also worries you when you think about some of their recent results and how they've dropped points really where they shouldn't have um, in recent league matches, that tends to, to, to make you think that there's there's uh, there's just something that's not quite right. They maybe just don't have that, 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 that spine of steel in terms of the consistency required to be able to do it on both fronts for, for, for the rest of the season. I think whatever happens, Brendan Rodgers is going to need to wrap Jamie Vardy in extra, extra thick cotton wool, considering how valuable he is to his team. He's also valuable to my fantasy football team. He's my captain, so I'm definitely hoping that he doesn't pick up any injuries in the next couple of weeks. Speaking of fantasy football, Jim chatted to our expert Matt Dyson earlier today to get all of his advice. Do you go for your wild card? Do you play your free hit? Any advice that you need, any questions that you want answered, Matt is the man to go to. So Jim caught up with him and let's see what he had to say. Nice one, Fergal. I am indeed joined by fantasy football expert Matt Dyson from the Game Week podcast. How are you doing, Matt? Yes, I'm all right, thank you. Expert in inverted commas, as always. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone can really claim to be all-knowing when it comes to football. You need kind of like um, some kind of slightly dubious title, like Professor of Fantasy Football. Yes, yes. No. Can you get an ology in, in fantasy football? I think it probably... Fantasology, it probably is. fantasyology sounds like a really dodgy DVD. <laughs> Fantasology, yeah. Sounds, uh, yeah, I'm not sure I want that uh, in my name, to be honest. A BA ons in Fantasology. I mean... You probably can get a degree in fantasy football. So ridiculous is yeah. the world of, of studying these days. Someone's probably got one somewhere. I have no doubt. If you've got an idea for a proper title for Matt, you can get us on the uh, Twitter, <laughs> at the Sports Social, yeah. see what you can come up with. Yeah, be kind. <laughs> be nice, yeah. Let's see how you handle these questions from our podcast listeners this week when it comes to FPL. First question comes from Paul, who says, Manchester Derby this weekend and United looking like they could be easy pickings. I'm considering going for a fit again Sergio Aguero should I go for him or should I be wary of the anything can happen quotation marks nature of a derby what do you reckon does he avoid the cliches well, he sort of answered his own question there a bit, hasn't he? I mean, also, Guerra is sort of just coming back from his knee injury, isn't mm. he? At the time of recording, the Champions League game hasn't happened, so he's not a 100%, I wouldn't suggest, guaranteed a starting place in the Manchester derby, although, you know, it would be a good one for him to make his comeback in. Um, and, yeah, it's always a good time to sign Sergio Guerra. He hasn't really hit the heights that we've seen him in, uh, seen him hit before, but neither for the past City, year or so. Neither of City, yeah, exactly. So, 
I would uh, hold off a little bit on Aguero just to make sure he's back to full fitness and he's actually starting. Uh, but yeah, like he says, the unpredictable nature, it tends to be when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has an awful result and everyone's saying, oh, if one more defeat and he's going to go, he pulls something out of the bag. And, uh, you know, that could easily happen in a Manchester derby, in my opinion, where, you know, if he gets Bruno Fernandes firing on all cylinders again for him, Bruno single-handedly saving his job every single time he plays pretty much <laughs> at the moment. So despite the awful uh, exit from the Champions League I think Manchester United will come out and be a, a tougher prospect in the Manchester derby but I still think Man City will probably edge it and hopefully hopefully we can finally say goodbye to Oli <laughs> It doesn't feel like a banker though does it in terms of putting players in from either side derbies are notoriously particularly Manchester derbies are notoriously close to being yeah. putting all your eggs in that particular basket Exactly. I mean, I signed De Bruyne last week and he came good for me Mm. uh, last week. But I still think he's the most reliable performer for Man City and the the most likely to start week in, week out, barring any injuries. So, yeah, I've only got one Man City player at the moment. I mean, Walker's been their standout defender this season, but then he suddenly didn't play last week against Fulham. So that's quite annoying. So Pep Roulette is always a a problem with uh, the rotation that goes on in the City squad anyway. So, yes... I'd just be a little wary. I'd just get maybe maybe this isn't the right time to bring Aguero in. We did have say. Pep Guardiola before the game against Marseille this week denying that he rotates the squad, however, which seemed like a slightly bizarre statement. He's obviously been listening yeah. to this podcast and taking personal <laughs> offence to your comments. Yeah, well, I mean, he, I don't blame him for it. He has to. He's got such an embarrassment yeah. of riches. He's got to try and keep everyone happy. That is modern life at a, a super rich mo- a football club, you know. He's got to try and rotate them, and I understand that, but he's the enemy of the fantasy football <laughs> fan or the fantasologist like myself. <laughs> right, next question comes from Rick. Ricardo, who says, that's it, I'm done with Aubameyang, who, I have to point out, Matt called as an essential fantasy well, football yes. player before the season started. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. so already poking holes in your strategy. Really having a go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where do I need to spend my 11.5 million that I get for selling him? Ideally, I want someone around the eight mark so I can put my 3.5 spare into investment elsewhere. So he wants to get rid of Aubameyang, who has been pretty useless from a fantasy football and a yes. normal football well, point of view for that matter. So well, yeah, yeah, since he signed his new contract. You know, look, I went at the start of the season, he'd just signed his big money contract. He'd, he'd done well in the FA Cup final. He was looking in really good form before the at the end of last season. And then he was moved on the game to a midfielder, which mm. gave him extra points. So that's why I was tipping him at the start of the season. Well, I think it everyone wants to be fair. He looks, exactly, he looks yeah. like a bargain. It hasn't really gone according to plan because it seems like he's completely resting on his laurels now he's secured the big money deal. Or I don't know what's going on with him. Maybe they keep playing him as more of a more of a winger on the in that front three for Arsenal rather than out and out centre forward, which I think he must be finding annoying. But Chucking crosses he's, into the box as well, and he's not a player who thrives on crosses, is he? He's not he's no. not one of those big men that's gonna get on the end of a ball. So it's but either way, it's just not working for him at the moment. So yeah, but I think I mean I still think I I haven't seen it, the highlights of the last game. I still think he's going to start scoring again soon. It's just a matter of when. So you got to sort of bear with him. But yeah, if you've still got him by this stage, I mean, I don't know what you've been doing really. But uh, yeah, certainly get rid for now until you see a change in fortunes for him. Uh, but who to replace him with? It's a very specific price category uh, given there. <laughs> I mean, uh, Zaha at 7.4 is looking pretty good after the last game. But then mm-hmm. they've got Tottenham at home next. It can, can his money stretch to bring 
Bruno Fernandes. He's probably already got him. Everyone's got Bruno Fernandes. Everyone's got Son for the 9.6 price range. Uh, so in terms of getting someone about eight, eight and a half, Riyad Mahrez has looked pretty good. But again, the aforementioned rotational that's not rotation could hit you there. But then he he seems to have returned to, to, to decent form for Man City. And maybe Diogo Jota at Liverpool as well. He's a real bargain for under eight million, just seven million now, even though his price has gone up a lot recently. But then, you know, he didn't start in the last game as well, so isn't guaranteed a first team spot for Liverpool. So it's a tough it's a tough one really, isn't it? When you look at those players around that price point, sort of around the eight million mark and lower, it is a lot of players that don't start regularly, with the exception of Jack Grealish and Rodriguez, who are in that category. It's Pogba, Pepe, Willian. Bernardo yeah. at Manchester City, Deli Alley, Mason Greenwood, uh, Diego Jota, who you called a minute ago, Bergwin at Spurs. It's kind mm. of a little bit of a lottery as to whether they're going to play or not, I guess. Yeah, certainly the ones in the bigger squads. And, and the same with the with the with all those Chelsea midfielders are around that sort of price point, And they're getting switched around a lot. Zayic has just got injured because I had him in my team and he's just gone out again. But Mount looks decent. But they've got loads of attacking options with Pulisic now fit again as well. So, like you say, it's tough to know which ones at that price point are going to start. So you want to go with someone that's definitely going to start. Uh, and they're, they're, so maybe maybe a team slightly not in the you know maybe not in the top six. Perhaps maybe uh, one of your James Rodriguez at, at Everton. Perhaps although he seems to have had a little dip in form from the great start to the season he had. But he's only seven point seven at the moment. Although they have got some tough games coming up with Chelsea. And, live, and, and Leicester away on the horizon. Last question comes from Helen, who says, who is the best second-choice keeper to go for right now? Ideally, I want someone that's around 4.5 or lower. Ah, second-choice keeper, interesting. So I'm assuming well, she's got a big name, big money keeper, like a, an yes. Allison or someone to go out yeah, yeah. as their most... Normally, that's the keeper they select, and they want someone to, as backup just in case. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like a 4.5 million goalkeeper. Uh, my team just has them. I don't bother with the bit. The big money ones haven't been delivering quite as well this season. I'm sure I've said, like, Man City and Liverpool not keeping mm. quite as many clean sheets as they have done in the past. So I've got McCarthy, Southampton in goal in my team as well. And then uh, Meslier, uh, the Leeds goalkeeper, who's also 4.5. And then the other one, which I've got my eye on quite a lot at the moment, I know his team aren't very good, but uh, Sam Johnson, the West Brom goalkeeper, he now the thing is he might not get clean sheet points but he might get save points so often the beleaguered defensive defenses in the Premier League if they have a uh, if they concede a lot of goal but their keeper is a really good mm. shot stopper then he won't maybe necessarily get the clean sheet points but he might get save points so the more saves he makes uh, the more points he's going to get and he could get you a decent amount despite not getting clean sheets and he's only 4.5 million and it doesn't really matter who West Brom are playing they're going to struggle defensively against most teams by the looks of it but I think he looks decent and he could have the odd clean sheet in him and if he doesn't he'll get you some save points It's interesting you say you've got McCarthy because I've got him too and I was just checking the stats 22% of fantasy football teams have got him and Martinez is my other goalkeeper at Aston Villa who 24% of fantasy football managers have picked him so clearly there is a trend towards the cheaper keepers and then spending your money elsewhere Certainly this season it seems to be a bit of a trend I mean the top scoring keeper at the moment is Fabianski and he's only 5.1 
For your boys, West Ham. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but he's he's a decent keeper, Fabianski. The name Flappy Hansky is a thing of the past, <laughs> a distant a distant memory now. I've never heard that nickname, but I like that. <laughs> I think it was when he was at Arsenal, he was known as Flappy Hansky. Uh, but yeah, I think he's still... I mean, at 5.1, I think he's still a bargain. Mm. And I don't understand West Ham. West Ham's form is uh, seems to be pretty good. I've certainly got Susek uh, in my midfield who, keep, mm. who pops up with goals left, right and centre from corners, doesn't he? Yeah, he's very a great good set pieces and very very good defensively at the moment and with the uh, with the likes of Balbuena and the Bonger playing at the back I think there's a few yeah. a few points in that defensive line for for West Ham if you're a fantasy football player that fancies taking a chance obviously always the risk that we're going to ship 20 in a game as well yeah. but that's the West that's Ham true. way yes exactly <laughs> and we wouldn't want it to change Matt Pleasure as always to chat fancy football with you. Where can people find the podcast? You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Game Week. We're at Game Week HQ on Twitter and Facebook. I'm going away now to study for my PhD <laughs> in uh, fantasy football, uh, fantasology. I'm doing a special uh, dissertation about chip use uh, in the current season. <laughs> Very good. And if you want a question for Professor Dyson next week, then you can get in via our social media at the the Sports Social on Twitter or the Sports Social on Facebook, Sports Social Official on Instagram or just go to the website. You'll find everything there, sports-social.co.uk. Back to you, Fergal. Great stuff. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Matt. Expert insight as always. I'm sure we've all got a few tips. I know I have about how I'm going to change my team for this weekend, but it'll probably make absolutely zero difference as I am already in the relegation zone of pretty much every league that I am in. That's it for part two. After the break, it is our Floodlight Focus series. We're chatting to Joe Redmond from the Turfcast Burnley podcast. He's going to be filling us in on everything that is going on with Sean Dyche and his players. Catch you in a minute. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Podcast. Now, before the break, we mentioned we are continuing our Floodlight Focus series and that's exactly what we're going to do. Today, it is all about Burnley. Burnley, Burnley, Burnley. And we're joined by Joe Redmond from the Turfcast Podcast. He's going to be filling us in on everything that's been going on at Turf Moor this season. Obviously, there's takeover talk, the speculation over Sean Dyche and given the way things are going at the club this season, it's all been pretty negative. Joe, give us something positive about Burnley so far this season. Uh, well, it's it's got to be the takeover. Um, although some Claret Smart uh, see it as a negative because obviously all you have to do is look at what happened to to them lot down the road. Um, obviously Premier League uh, when the Venkies came in, uh, got rid of Aladas, and then it's just been downhill ever since. But in the position that we're in at the minute, and um, and sort of like how far the current chairman Mike and Garlic can take us, I think it's only a positive that. So fingers crossed that happens pretty soon. And obviously, Joe, given the situation with the takeover and, and from the outside looking in, every press conference, Sean Dyche seems to be asking a question about this. But if you're not a Burnley fan, you might not be fully aware of ex- <clears throat> exactly what's going on. So it's ALK Capital, a uh, US investment fund that are looking to buy out the club. MLS club president, uh, Alan Pace, who is involved with um, Rail Salt Lake, an Egyptian businessman by the name of Mohammed El Kashashi, and then a UK-based sports lawyer, Chris Farrell. They're part of this team that are looking to, to put them 
money together to buy out Burnley. <clears throat> Given the fact that obviously these things do take time, they can take months to, to finally be ratified by the Premier League. Marley knows that all too well, I'm sure. Um, how far away are Burnley from being bought out? What What is the latest situation? Well, just to go back to the, to the team... <clears throat> ALK Capital and Alan Pace are completely different from uh, the Egyptian and Chris Farnell. Uh, Chris Farnell and the Egyptian are a totally separate entity. There's two current different teams trying to buy the club, essentially. Uh, Chris Farnell and the Egyptian guy are one. Alan Pace and ALK Capital are another one. Um, at the minute, it looks like Alan Pace and ALK Capital are thankfully uh, the ones that are looking like they're going to get it sorted. Uh, there's been a few rumours and it might be done before Christmas, but it's all gone a little bit quiet, really, and just the local journalists, not necessarily speculating, but saying, I've been told it might happen before Christmas, it might not, that sort of thing. So uh, that's pretty much where we're at at the minute. Um, but, yeah, it's looking like it's going to be ALK Capital, and if you believe the local press, potentially, before Christmas. But we need it done before the January transfer window anyway, or else it's pretty much pointless. Well, Joe, as you say, <clears throat> whether ALK... <clears throat> <clears throat> Joe, as you say, with ALK, whether they come in before January or not, the issue between now and that... Hold on one second. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just going to drink a water. <clears throat> and Joe, as you say, the issue with ALK is that they're not likely to be in place until probably the start of the January transfer window. So that means that for now, Sean Dyche is going to have to stick with what he's got. And one thing that we know about Dice is that he is loyal to certain players and he does like to always go with a consistent team. And looking at the numbers so far this season, they've got seven players that have started a minimum of eight or more Premier League games. And given the way things are going, is that the right tactic to, to stick by his players and stick by a pretty much a solid first eleven, Or is there options off the bench? Is there options already existing within the squad that can try and drag you up the table? I think there's options already existing within the squad, but just going back to the stat that you just mentioned, it actually would be higher. Um, but obviously Ben Mee spent a lot of time injured. Uh, James Tarkovsky was inadvertent commas injured at the start of the season. Um, I say inadvertent commas because it was when Leicester was interested and as soon as Leicester weren't interested anymore, he miraculously could play anymore. But obviously that's a that's a different debate. And then there's Jay Rodriguez as well. He's been injured as well. So... It, it could easily be it could easily be ten. Um, to be honest, the ten players that have started a high percentage of the games. Um, it's one of them, though. That we don't have the squad depth that many other teams have because of the fact that the chairman has, has just decided to stop putting money into the club altogether, and we think that is because of he's known for a while about this takeover. So we. Uh, a, a healthy balance sheet looks better than, than you know assets on the pitch. I think in terms of takeovers, I'm not sure. I've never bought a football club probably enough. Um, but I think I think the actual starting eleven when they are there, I think they are good enough to stay up. It's just that we've spent a lot of you know a lot of time this season with with injuries. Like I said, Tarky's been injured. Ben Mee has been injured. Um, Robbie Breda, Johan Berg, Goodmanson, <coughs> and Jay Rodriguez, and these are all, especially Ben Mee, Tarky, Johan, and Jay. These are all first team players that got us to to tenth in the Premier League last season. So I think for me, once you get that starting eleven in there and you get a nice consistent you know, some of games where these players are starting regularly, I think the results will come. 
And obviously, one of the big stats alongside the, the consistency in the starting eleven, a bit of a worrying stat for, for yourself and all Clarets fans, is just one Premier League win from the 10 games so far this season. And possibly even more concerning, just five goals scored. Two of them were against Leicester right at the start of the season. And given the way things are going and, and some of those injuries that you've mentioned, where are the goals going to come from between now and, and potentially being able to bring someone in in January? I think the worry for us is... Uh, and the majority of our goals for the last three seasons have always come from Chris Wood. He's been the leading goal scorer at this club for the last three <laughs> Premier League seasons. But he is, a, he is a confidence player and he does have dry spells. He had a dry spell at the start of last season, but thankfully when he was having a dry spell at the start of last season, Ashley Barnes was playing well and scoring goals. So we never really had this run of results like we have now. But I think at the minute it's all boiling down to Chris Wood not scoring <laughs> goals. Um and for me, that's because he's been playing with his less preferred strike partner. Uh, for some reason, Dash has been playing with Ashley Barnes. I mean, I love Ashley Barnes. It is, you know, he's, he's, he's a Burnley legend, to be honest. But I think he's past it now. Uh, well, past it, it's probably a bit harsh, but he's had a, he's had a hernia operation and things like that. And it's, he's not been playing so well at the start of the season. And, and Chris Wood plays perfectly with Jay Rodriguez. I think give him a run in the side with, uh, with Jay Rodriguez, I think the goals will start coming again. But like I said, he's a confidence player. And when the goals aren't coming for Chris Wood, he's one of these players where you look at and, you, and you're debating how he's even made it as a Premier League footballer, never mind thinking that he's going <clears> to <throat> grab your goals. But once he gets a couple of goals, then when it falls to him in the 18-yard box, you kind of just know it's going in. He's one of them. So we need Chris Wood to start, go, start, start hitting the back of the net, really, because he's... Um, you know, I like Chris Wood. I always try and stick up for him. A lot of Burnley fans think he's a bit of a donkey and slag him off quite a lot. But oh, as I've said, there's you know the last three seasons he's been our leading goal scorer. So that that says all, that says everything really. But we do need him to start scoring this season definitely. And when you think of Burnley and the results that they've got in previous seasons, it's probably not all doom and gloom over the last month. Two draws and a win from the last four games. The only game that they've lost in that run was that 5-0 away at Manchester City. Solid draw against Brighton and then against Everton last weekend and, and winning a home against Palace. But you do get the sense that the games that are coming up between now and the end of the calendar year are absolutely crunched. Just looking at the list here, Leeds away just after Christmas, Sheffield United at home on the 29th and then starting 2021 at home to Fulham. Do you get the sense that if you're not coming away with probably double figures, um, you're going to slip right into into relegation danger? Yeah, I, to be honest, I'm I'm pretty worried already. Um, I'm one of them that's worried, but st- do, does still think we'll get out of it. When I look at this at this season, it boils down to is the three worst teams than Burnley in the Premier League right now. I'd, even though we're in the bottom three, I'd still say yeah. I know Fulham picked up a brilliant result against Leicester uh, recently, but I'd still say that, that we are better than them. I think we're better than West Brom. And for some reason, Sheffield United have absolutely fallen off a cliff. Um, currently, we are better than them. So I think we'll be all right. However, yeah, if you're looking at these next run of fixtures, um, then yeah, we're going to need to start picking up some wins. Even before then, we've got Aston Villa. Um, I know they've had, I know they've started well, and a lot of people were thinking, oh, that's a, you know, that's a Villa win, but... Uh, you've got to be beating teams like Villa and stuff like that if you if you want to stay in the league, no matter how, how much of a good start they've had. And then there's Wolves as well. I know Wolves are a very good side, and a lot of people again will be saying, "Well, that's a Wolves win." But for some reason, we tend to do well against Wolves at home. Um, so fingers crossed, we we can get, get a result there. But I'm a little bit worried already um, because if you look at the league table, I think there's uh, Sheffield United bottom, then it's West Brom, then it's us, then it's Fulham, then it's Brighton, and then in 15th it's Arsenal. And there's a bit of a gap building between the bottom five in the rest of the Premier League. Like we need to make sure that we're not included in that in that group of teams that gets cut away. Um, so we need to start picking up results pretty much straight away. <laughs> Excuse me, starting this weekend against 15th place Arsenal. Yeah, if we can um, 
try and avoid defeat against them. It'll probably it'll be a tough task, of course it will. And no matter how much of a bad start Arsenal have had, you know, it's, it's Arsenal at the end of the day and they've got some quality players. Um, but if we can avoid de- defeat against them and avoid them pulling away, that'll be a big result, I think, in terms of the league table. Yeah, I can already feel Marley laughing at me through his computer screen of Burnley Arsenal being a relegation derby. Uh, Joe, <laughs> you, you, uh, you started on a, a bit of a positive note with Burnley. Give us, give us another one to, to wrap up this bit. What can we expect from Burnley between now and the end of the season? What, what do you see the picture looking like heading into 2021? Uh, fingers crossed, Chris would start scoring some goals. Um, all you have to do is look at look at the players that we've got. I, I know, I know there are not, not many of them are world beaters, but you've got a lot of international players in there. I know, I know a lot of teams do in the Premier League, but this is the same side, pretty much man for man, that finished 10th in the Premier League last season. So I think we just need to start realising that and, uh, and get into that mentality as Burnley fans and maybe even the Burnley players as well. And you know, if, they, if they're good enough to finish 10th last season, then they're good enough to finish... 17th this season so going into 2021 I'm hoping it's going to be a similar season to the one we had not last season the season before where we had a terrible start and then the second half of the season we just absolutely turned it on and 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 just shot his way up, up that I say up the league table we finished about 12th that year but you know we're miles away from any, any relegation whereas in the end so fingers crossed we can do that and I'm still quite confident that you know we have the players and, and we definitely have the manager uh, to be able to do that OK, fair enough. Plenty of signs of positivity for Clarets fans, including yourself. Uh, Turfcast podcast, uh, give us an idea where we can find that, where we can listen to you on social media. Uh, well, it's just Turfcast podcast. That's all you have to do. Just search Turfcast podcast on all your social media channels. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram and we're on YouTube as well. We do a lot of videos on YouTube, like watch-alongs, pre-game shows, that sort of thing. Uh, we're trying to sort of like go down the, the streaming route um, with certain things. Um, but yeah, we're on all the... All the social medias and all your favourite podcast apps. Again, just search Turfcast Podcast. Brilliant stuff, Joe. Thank you very much. And that's all for today's show. Marley, John Paul, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, guys. Cheers, buddy. Not a problem. And don't forget, if you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new one every single day. We are your go-to source of all things Premier League. We'll see you again tomorrow. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to luckylandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.